Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dolph <laughs> Femme for Murder. Oh, goes my tinnitus. I know how much you love my back. So, I love it. Um, welcome back to Dolph Femme for Murder, the true crime podcast of the girls, gays, ladies, and anyone who wants to play listen. Exactly. How y'all doing? We doing good. Good, good. We out here living life. We out here vibing, life. sleeping with one yeah. eye open when I'm sleeping. When I'm sleeping, one eye. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> um, anyone who doesn't know, that's a TikTok sound. Speaking of TikTok, I have officially gone viral. Oh, you have? Well, kind of. That's just, you know. Let's right. I put up a stupid video. I was out... Um, I was like, in, I was outside my house having a ciggy wiggy woo, mm-hmm. and I saw a little girl riding one of those like drive on car, you know, driving cars, the mm-hmm. little kids' cars, mm-hmm. and I just mm-hmm. thought this would be perfect. You couldn't see her face or anything, and yeah. I thought this would be perfect to go with Room Room by Charlie XCX, yeah. and it's just this little girl driving this car. It's like, let's ride, let's boom 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 boom. Um, and I just so put I just put in the caption me on my way to steal your man, and I'm currently at like nearly three thousand likes, over sixteen k views. Oh my god, really? It's gone that mad. Uh huh. I am viral. I'm a viral Holy sensation. Smokes. I didn't notice that it had gone that bad. Yeah, it's I'm gonna good. actually look at it right now. Do it, do it. I'll put it on Instagram for anyone that hasn't That's seen. Right. Follow That's me. Like, like, on? and subscribe for more content. Like, stupid content. Oh, you're on sixteen point three. You're only on like eleven. When I, know. I had a look like a couple of hours ago. So you're doing well. It's because people are tagging their mates in it. That's true. And every and everyone loves that song. Let's ride. Yeah. Let's ride. Boom, 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 boom. Do you know boom, one boom. thing that I could do without on TikTok? What? A fucking berries and cream thing. Berries and cream, berries it's and cream. Really I'm a little lad who likes berries and cream. It's like it was it was funny like the first time you see it, you go, Oh, that's funny. It's not like it's not like, oh my god, I'm laughing. It's like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. And then you see it again and then somebody does a remix of it and then everyone's like, Oh my god, are you on berries and cream tick? I'm like, you this is I hate it here. I hate mm, it. Mm. I mean I'm not I a fan. It. I've I've strayed into like <sighs> I watched one video of someone deep cleaning their bathroom. Oh, God. And now I'm on clean talk. Oh, okay. But I've got opinions on that because, like, one of those people aren't going to end up killing themselves. Oh, well, the way they mi- mix in all these. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're literally going to end up, like. Kaboom. Like, I made the best TikTok of my life yesterday. I'm not sure if you saw it. Is it as viral as mine? No, it's. I think it, it's got, like, 13 likes at the moment, and one of them's from me. Okay, well, any holes a go. It's my Michael Shannon appreciation. Yeah, no, I don't get that. You don't get Michael Shannon? I think he looks like the guy who played Fagin in Oliver Twist. <laughs> you oh my God. got a bigger pocket take, I will not take any Michael Shannon slander. It wasn't, will not have it. Uh, who said it was slander? Fagin is great. Feels a little slanderous. Anyway, have you watched Nine Perfect Strangers yet? No, I haven't. It's really good. You should watch it. I'm cur- so I'm cur- good in that. I told you, I'm re-watching Sex and the City. Um oh I fucking love Sex and City, I don't care, but, you know, all those characters are so flawed, and, like, every mm. single one of them, and I was watching the other day, and I was like, I'd love to, like, you know, we mentioned last week, like, if Samantha was, like, the main character, I'd love to watch that show from each different character's point of view, except Charlotte's, yeah. I think Charlotte's would be really boring and really annoying. Yeah, maybe. Because she's I like, like Miranda. A, I love Miranda, I am Miranda. And I like Steve. Nah, he's Okay. I like. I got. No, but I get good vibes from Steve. I get kind Steve, of like. Steve does give good vibes. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. The vibes from like Steve nice, are good. Yeah. It's nice, kind of like he, he gives me like 
he's got the same energy as like a one dollar slice of pizza you know yeah yeah comforting and reliable Mm. and always there when you need it maybe a little bit you know stale at times you know sometimes it's a bit off you know and a bit greasy and a bit greasy you know he's been working at the bar all night you know (laughs) he may smell a little bit um but thinking of speaking of things that smell um i (laughs) in two ways i bought a new aftershave this week Right. It's Prada Ocean Lunarossa. Right. I don't know if it's called aftershave, but you don't shave. I don't shave because I have a bit... Hold, hold on a minute. I bought some new cologne. <laughs> some new cologne. This week's nice. called Prada Ocean Lunarossa. And um, guess who's the model for it? Is it Jake Gyllenhaal? It's my smelly king. See, that's... Yeah, see, this is where it all falls down for me. Because it's like, he's like, oh, I don't shower. But he's like, you know, you know that he smells nice. Because he can afford, like, the perfume to cover up the mask. Hold on. Don't know if you can hear. I'm just putting some on. <laughs> um, oh, God, if only we had smell-o-vision. It smells delicious. <laughs> and I think to myself... smell I think to myself, this is what he smells like. But then in reality, I know he doesn't. Because he doesn't shower that often. But I don't shower that I often. And I wear it. it smells like. Um probably gruel from the <laughs> please sir can i have some more oh i don't get it i just i mean everyone you know each to their own you know he's, a, he's not my vibe he's an interesting cat see i i think the only film i've seen him in was um that that one of the biopic of um that band oh, i can't remember what they're called but it had joan jett in them Oh, what the Runaways. They? The Runaways, yeah. That's the is only... he in that? He's in that. He plays like their manager. And I. that's the only thing I've seen him in. Oh, he's in loads of great films. Uh, really? One of the best is Take Shelter, where he's like... I don't want to give it away, but it's a great film. I watched a really shitty film this week. Well, it wasn't really shitty. I watched A Spiral. Never heard of it. It's basically um, from the Book of Saw. You know, okay. it's the Saw movies. Yeah. Which I'm a big fan of um because right. i love horror movies but it was chris rock was in it and he played like uh, it wasn't a comedic role right and i don't know how i feel about that controversially i don't really like the saw films because i love horror and i love all things spooky but i absolutely detest gore oh i love gore i hate gore i can't anything involving the head as well i can't Ooh. i just can't watch it i've got no interest in it like, hereditary idea... hereditary yeah, that see the bar. I do like that film. That's a good movie. I'll but watch that that, that film is gory as fuck. Well, mm, in parts, in parts, it, in parts. It's not a constant thing. That's why I kind of like. I like the um, like the Halloween movies because like I don't class that as gore, gratuitous gore. Like no. like the kind of like stabbing and that kind of stuff. That's yeah. absolutely fine with me. I'm talking about like prolonged kind of torture, like a yeah. hostel or a saw type of thing. See, I've always I remember liked... going to see. Go on. I was just going to say, I've always liked Saw because it's, it may be gory, but I think like the premise is quite interesting in a way of like, you've wronged all these people, now it's time for you to pay. It is, definitely. It's like, it's, I know this sounds really silly, but the, the, whoever the Saw guy or the murderer is, whatever, is like, Mm. you can escape. Yeah. But you've got to, you know, really mutilate yourself. Yeah, it's a very interesting, it's an interesting premise. Totally, I just don't, I can't. Oh, I, I like can't it. with the gore. It makes, I mean, it really unsettles me and it triggers me. Yeah, oh, I mean, I fair it. enough. Fair enough. Every each their own. I won't go into detail of what the gore was like in this one, but that's it wasn't why too I bad. can't. 
that's why on this podcast remember that one comment we got it was like you didn't even talk about gory stuff mm. it's like okay it's like if you want to listen to gore listen to sword and scale please yeah, we are exactly. not sword and scale yeah no we we like to have intelligent conversations about crime and the criminal justice system mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. not not tell you it's not going to be like and not, her, her arms were, were cut, cut off, off. <laughs> i was literally just about to do that her arms were cut off and her legs were cut off. Exactly. I was literally just about to do that. Exactly. I'm not into Like, we'll tell you how it happened, not that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, we'll give you a cheeky little trigger warning. Be like, oh, hey, guys, by the way, this is what happened, mm. FYI. But yes. I'm not going to sit there and be like, really gratuitous. Yeah, but I mean, exactly. I like Saw films just because I like the premise and I can do, yeah. kind of deal with the gore. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I mean, I may have watched a mediocre movie, but I listened to an amazing album. Oh God! What's this? What's this? This this reaction? I bet you haven't even listened to it, have you? I haven't. But I listened to like one thing. I watched a trailer, yeah. and I was like, I don't. No, I can't. We're talking. I, I, will, I will listen. We're talking about Casey Musgraves' new album, Casey Star Musgraves. Star Crossed. It's you rate it, very good. I highly rate it. Okay. Highly, it's it's basically Golden Hour, but about heartbreak instead of being in, falling in love. All right, I'm going to put it on my... I'm going for my walk tomorrow morning, so I am going to put it... I'm just going to download it now on Spotify and I will listen to it tomorrow. I mean, don't get me wrong. Golden Hour is better. Right. Because it's it's fucking Golden Hour. Golden Hour is a mm-hmm. perfection of an album. Great al- it is a great album. This is a great album. This one's good, though. I mean, some of the songs I'm a bit like, mm, really? Like, there's a song called Cherry Blossom and it's very, like... Is it as good as Solar Power by Lord? No comment. Um, Have you even listened to that? Absolutely not. Um, See, that's a banging album. No, I disagree. But, um... How can you disagree if you haven't heard it? Because I don't like Lord. Yeah, but neither do I. Oh, okay. I mean, fair enough. (laughs) I tend to not listen to music. That's like you going, oh, James Corden's got a new film out. Never. Actually, no, I'd like to apologise. I do not feel the same way about Lord... (laughs) As I do about James Corden. I was going to say. My friend watched the Cinderella movie and was like, it's not too bad. I was like, it's got James Corden in it. I am not fucking watching no, I it. I won't be watching it either. Like, I, I mean, what, <sighs> I wouldn't watch it anyway. But just the words James Corden just make me... Why do people keep gag. hiring him? Because, um, do straight, well... <laughs> do straight people like him? I don't... The thing is, I don't know if anybody likes James Corden. I, I, I <sighs> don't... I don't know how it works. Maybe he knows something and he's like, if you don't keep hiring me, I'm going to tell everybody. He's got secrets. Maybe he's like, maybe he is in like the Hollywood, uh, the upper echelon. Maybe it's like the, maybe, maybe he's their adrenochrome connection. Maybe. And he scores them all the adrenochrome. So he's like, you better put me in your fucking movie. But this yeah, is the thing that makes him up. He keeps being cast in like super gay movies. And I'm like, right. the, the gays don't like him. Stop. No. I mean, he's just... I'm speaking for everyone because everyone I know that's gay or everything I read on the internet, people hate James Corden, gay people. Yeah, he was in, Everyone in, hates him. He was in Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. Awful. Uh, he was in... Cats. Cats. I mean, come on. I mean, Cats was bad enough. And then he was in um, The Prom and he played a terribly, awfully stereotypical gay man in it. And now he's in Cinderella. 
It's like stop marketing, trying to market James Corden to the gays. We don't want stop him. Try, stop trying to make James Corden happen. It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, but I, I'm just very sad that you don't rate Casey Musgraves. I have it. Look, I would listen to the album and then I'll make my decision. Please do. But listen to it with an open mind because there are a couple of songs on there that are like, oh, really? Why don't you do... i tell you what, what we'll do this for the next podcast. I'll listen to Casey Musgraves and yeah. you listen to Solar Power by Lord, and then we report back. Okay, that's fine. Um, yeah, I'm down for that. Um, yeah. So I will just say one thing, though. Casey Musgraves has a boyfriend, right? He's this, re- he's this handsome doctor guy, right? Right. But I'm really upset. Well, I'm not... Well, I am really upset. He basically posted... Like, he writes poetry and prose. Right. Immediate red flag. Um... <laughs> <laughs> he writes his name is his name is Cole Schaefer and he's right. I think he's like a doctor or something but he okay. writes under the pseudonym January Black right okay and um he published something this week and he dared to ask the question what we can learn about the productivity and time management from Hitler <laughs> you're joking nope <laughs> you are joking me nope Wait, I'm, I'm sorry. I have to Google this. It said, hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it for Hitler. you. Hold on, I'm gonna read it for you. If Adolf Hitler wasn't a racist, power-hungry, tyrannical supervillain, he could have made a killing on productivity courses circa 2007. No, stop, Cole. Stop. Why? Why would you do that? Seriously, you you just have to like question the thought process of some people. He also puts he also um, puts something I notice in about high performers, be it evil dictators, martial arts wonders, business moguls, is their ability to move with great tenacity upon a very focused target. Yeah, genocide. <laughs> like for fuck's sake! Like Christ you're not lying. you're not no. Awful. Yeah, that's um Cole is yeah. Cole is cancer. No, he's not cancer. Maybe that's, I don't live maybe in that's like culture, a hot but... take that you should have uh, kept kept to yourself, down. or just yeah. like maybe with your circle of friends. But even then, if one of our mates was like, "I'm oh like, hey guys, you know Hitler? He would have been a great businessman. He would have <laughs> been like, he would have been a great host of The Apprentice. Like, no." No, don't. Just... That's the thing. It's, well, that's the thing, especially with writing stuff like that. Is you, it's like the tone. Obviously, he shouldn't have written it. No. It's like also the tone in which he meant that to come across can be wildly misconstrued by like <laughs> you don't know what tone. No. Was, I don't know. I haven't read the whole thing. We but, know. But... We know what he meant. He was basically saying that if Hitler wasn't he was evil, driven. he was driven. But like, yeah. There are so many yeah. other driven people exactly. that you can fucking talk about in this We're, world. Like you said, driven by genocide. Exactly. Probably, yeah, like not the not the, not the uh, best thing to do. No. Or talk about coal. No. So th- just ignore that while you listen to Casey's album because you know she can't be held accountable no. for her boyfriend's stupid comments. Absolutely not. Um. Yeah, so that's basically what's happened this week. Casey Musgrove's right. album's been amazing. I've been, like, in a whirl of star-crossed love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thoroughly enjoying an album in three acts. Um, nice. But, yeah, that, that's that's all I've got to say, really. <laughs> that's, that's your way. Well, that, that, we'll get on to it. We'll get on to this episode, then. I'm very so, uh, excited <laughs> about this A very episode. big thing that happened this week was the 20th anniversary of... September 11th, the 9-11 mm-hmm. attacks mm-hmm. in New York. Yeah. 
Do you remember where you were? Yeah, I remember. I have a very vivid memory. I was oh. at... Because me and Emily went to the same school together. We weren't in the same mm-hmm. year, but we went to the same school. Mm-hmm. So this may be a little bit niche for y'all. But I was walking past the French huts. Right. Right. And do you remember Mrs. Jackson, the history teacher? Yeah. I have a distinct vivid memory of her because it was around school. It happened around like, I think it was around 3pm time here when we were leaving school. It was about two, it was about 2 yeah, yeah, so we were leaving, like, so we left school at like 3, 10 past 3 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just remember Mrs. Jackson talking to another teacher going, oh, there's, there's been a plane, there's been a plane, it's hit the Twin Towers, this planes mm-hmm. have hit the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, well, I don't, not, not really knowing what she meant because yeah. I would have been what, 12, 13 yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, and then I went home and it was just all over the television. Yeah, I and remember I remember that. I wa- just... watching it with my mum and just being like, "What the fuck?" I li- I remember walking up the main road to my house and my mum mm-hmm. being like, "Oh, we need to get home, um, because there's been like a big thing that's happened, yeah. like this big thing." And I remember watching it all night on the TV, like yeah. all night, just yeah. glued to the television. Mm-hmm. And nine eleven was, I think, especially for us because we remember, like, we can remember a world before 9-11 happened yeah right yeah, yeah. 9-11 was um for me the thing that made me take notice of politics okay. because of the reasons that we're going to be talking about in this podcast now mm. i um about 10 years ago i was on a really awful bbc3 documentary um <laughs> obviously we will mention in this podcast yes but it was called 9-11 Conspiracy Road Trip. And um, at the time, I was really, really heavily into the 9-11 truth movement. You really um, were. You really, and at the really time, were. Well, at the time, the 9-11, like, 9-11 truth movement and, like, talking about conspiracies wasn't as it was now. Like, it, it was a lot more open and it was less kind of, I feel like it was less frowned upon, right? There was more kind of like a general willingness to talk about. There stuff. was, but I think that was just because it was, you know, closer to the time, I really think. Well, we're, we're going to be going into into detail. But essentially, I was I was really into, um, you know, uh, I, the thing is... You, really you, say... you, you were like super into it. I was into re- really, really into research, and now I wasn't really just like the first time I ever got into nine eleven conspiracy theories was through a film called uh, Loose Change, which was mm. created by um, Dylan Avery, um, and I don't really stand by that documentary now. I don't really believe half of the things that are in it. Mm. When I when you first kind of get into questioning the official narrative of 9-11, the usual segue for people to get into it is through um, things like uh, World Trade Center 7. Yeah. And um, was it a plane that hit the Pentagon? Were there bombs in the building? It's that kind of stuff which generally pulls people in, right? Because it's like these really big salacious theories. Mm. Now, I want to disappoint a lot of people by saying that I don't generally believe in a lot of those theories and there's a lot of different camps within like the overarching 9-11 truth movement and they can generally be separated into two groups uh lie hoppers and my hoppers right, right explain because i don't know so a lie is. hopper is somebody who thinks that the american government let it happen on purpose um and a my hopper is a made it happen on purpose right right i'm now, a lie hopper Okay, so so I I feel like um, 
I don't like to define myself by any of those because I just want to say I don't know what happened on 9-11. None no, of us know what happened on 9-11. None of us know, but, but we can, you know, um, have our opinions on what we think uh, may absolutely. have happened. But there are... I'm not going to be going into theories in this podcast because, again, like, I'm... I I spent so long researching this and like it's, I've been so like into 9-11 for yeah. years and years and years yeah. that like you could talk about theories until the cows come home. Exactly. Theories aren't really important. We're the here to present the f- We're here to present the facts. Exactly. So everything that I talk about in this podcast is um completely factual. It has been source checked. You can go but I would encourage anybody listening to this podcast to go and check the sources yourself. Yeah. Don't so, don't ma- watch that one on Netflix. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> it's basically so it's on. just a just a series of glorifying the war. Great. Honestly, Excellent. I was like I can't I watched like I think it's what is it called like uh the war on terror turning point 911 or something. Right. It's just don't watch it. It's just war propaganda in my well, opinion. Well, it's like a thing. It's like there's a lot of whitewashing of history, but we're going to get onto that anyway. Okay, okay. Sorry, so, sorry, sorry. The majority of the information that I'm going to be talking about today is from the documentary 9-11 Press for Truth, which was inspired heavily by um, the Jersey Girls and the 9-11 families and also Paul Thompson's terror timeline. So, again, preface, we aren't going to have time to cover everything, especially considering the long, long, long history of events that led up to 9-11 and mm-hmm. what happened after. Mm-hmm. So I would highly recommend Paul Thompson's terror timeline. You can go and have a look at the website. Um, it's called History Commons, and it's got so much information on it. It's like cross-referenced, checked. It's like, it's phenomenal. I'd also recommend a documentary called A Very Heavy Agenda by Robbie Martin. He also has a documentary about the anthrax attacks, which happened just after 9-11. Very oh, yeah. interesting. Very interesting watch. I forgot Again, about all that. I just, like it, yeah. these, these whole, all of these. There's going to be so much in yeah. this podcast. We're going to be like, I, I either didn't know that was a thing, or, or I, I forgot. totally forgot that that was. Like a the thing. whole world was on highlight. I remember, like even my mum would be like, "No one touched the mail." Like, like who's going to send anthrax to us? Like, well, yeah, and well, I just again, I'd recommend going watching that Robbie Martin thing because there's a lot of things about that anthrax attacks that was super fucking sus. Mm. Um, it was but anyway he also hosts a podcast called media roots radio with his sister abby and they've literally just released some 9-11 special episodes that are out now so li- i i would highly recommend um going and after you've listened to this of course yeah if you want more more detail um because they're more political focused and we are supposed to be a true crime uh podcast but we're just veering off wildly well, i mean you know. it, was, it is a crime um exactly and uh, the fact that we still don't have answers is criminal anyway so i also want to preface and this is the last disclaimer before i get into it that although this podcast will question the official story of 9-11 this isn't a conspiracy theory we aren't going to be talking about controlled demolition laser no, beams none of that. no planes no hijackers the phone calls weren't real none of that we're staying Family rooted jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams like we're not we're not doing that my whole thing no my whole thing with that is i'm not an engineer i no. don't like this that is not where i think the the um the i don't know how to phrase it like that's not an area that i feel comfortable talking about oh but anyway. i wouldn't know if it could like well yeah exactly you know what i mean yeah so let's begin with the jersey girls now the jersey girls um were uh four women who lost their husbands in 9-11. Whenever there's a tragedy, you think, how could this have happened? I had faith in all of my leaders on September 10th that they were doing the best jobs that they could to protect 
the lives of my loved ones, my friends, my countrymen. I didn't understand that I needed to uh, look at the bigger picture. I've turned into um, a very disenchanted, um, fully awake, no longer naive um, person. There was Kristen Breitweiser, who lost her husband, Ronald, in Twin Towers. He was 39. There's Laurie Van Auken, whose husband, Kenneth, was killed. He was 47. Uh, Patricia Casaza lost her husband, John. He was 38. And then there's Mindy Kleinberg, whose husband, Alan, was killed, um, and he was 39. In total, on September 11th, 2001, 2,996 people died after two planes hit the World Trade Center buildings in New York, a further plane crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and another plane hit the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Just to Over say, two, go I'm on. sorry, just to say, to just show the vast volume of people that died, mm-hmm. at the memorial, it takes almost three hours to read out all the names. Yeah. That's how long it takes to read out the name of every person that died. Yeah. I did see something on Twitter that was like, um, America's having like a 9-11 a day with COVID deaths, which is quite Mm. insane. Anyway, um, over 2,000 9-11 first responders have died since the 9-11 attacks um, because the head of the Environmental Protection Agency at the time, Christine Todd Whitman, told them that the air was safe to breathe. It wasn't, and they paid for that with their lives. You know that's how Donna Summer died, right? It's alleged, yeah. Alleged that... Yeah. yeah, that's how Donna yeah. Summer died, Queen. It's honestly so disturbing, especially the fact that they have the the nine eleven first responders have had to fight tooth and nail to get their medical mm. bills covered. I mean, it's oh, like it's oh, yeah, infuriating. It's so during the grieving process, the Jersey girls had a lot of questions about how an attack like 9-11 could have happened. And most of them say that they went into angry mode and started to research constantly. The four widows found each other. They all lived in New Jersey and obviously they've come together with a, sh- with a shared grief and a shared anger for what happened so they began to compile questions and what we're going to go through a few of them like bear with me as we kind of go through because we're kind of going all over the place but i'm trying to keep it on track as much as possible okay so um one of the questions that they had one of the top ones was why had the u.s military failed to scramble fighter jets to stop any of these planes now Mm -hmm. the timeline is still like a little bit murky but from what we know it was around 8 19 a.m in the morning um, of september 11th that flight attendant betty ong um, alerted american airlines to a hijacking of of her flight um, which was flight 11 which was the first plane to hit world trade center who are you honey she gave her name as betty on betty i'm I'm number three i'm number three on this flight and you're the number three on the flight yes and this is flight 11 from where to where have you guys called anyone else no uh somebody's calling medical and we can't get a stop um, the last plane, which was United 93, mm-hmm. crashed at, I believe, 10.03 a.m., but there's okay. some, it could be 10.06 a.m. So that's a um, big window of time. Yeah, right? So you've got a period of nearly two hours where planes yeah. are flying around without any military interception. But, okay, we might be thinking it's 2001 and the system wasn't as sophisticated as it is now, right? True, but I've heard audio Wrong. recording. Oh, Wrong. really? Yeah, oh. it's basically, it, I, there's 
it's important to note this and there's so much evidence to back it up NORAD which is the North American Aerospace Defense Command were regularly able to scramble fighter jets to respond to suspicious aircraft Mm. and they were able to take off within a couple of minutes of being ordered to intercept an aircraft right I've had like audio on the couple of the documentaries I've watched of people like in the uh what is it what they're called but they um not a watchtower but you know what's it called air traffic air traffic saying Mm -hmm. we've got a suspicious plane it's dropping really fast and it's like well you there's a plane that's just hit a twin tower yeah fucking sort that out i met um i've met ben sliney Mm. who was the um he was the federal aviation administration national operations manager he was basically in control of like air traffic that day very interesting guy um Mm. he's got like silver hair it was very, very interesting. I don't okay. know why his hair colour's interesting. No, no, no. Interesting. You're, just anyway. paint, you're just painting a picture, you know. Right? So, um, in the documentary um, 9-11 Press for Truth, they use an example from 1999 where um, a Learjet 35, which is a very small private plane, right. lost cabin pressure and it incapacitated everyone on board so they weren't responding to air traffic control. The plane was just like v- like flying of its own free will, oh, right? Because everybody yeah. is passed out in the plane yeah. the plane was intercepted three times and the, like during the course of it like flying around it got intercepted three times by norad um right. or like fighter jets and the white it even like made it to the white house like they were talking about what to do like oh my god what do we do the canadian prime minister at the time had given permission to shoot down the plane if it came into canadian airspace mm. it ultimately ended up crashing but it is a good example of the usual response to planes that are flying around and not responding yeah right yeah so the jersey girls are researching and in the immediate wake of 9-11 there was a lot of information coming out in the press about how the hijackers had connections within the u.s okay Mm -hmm. so the u.s authorities were detaining a lot of people in the aftermath of 9-11 but the majority of them were let go and the women were collecting information it wasn't i have to specify it wasn't just the jersey girls the jersey girls became like a very public face of the Mm. 9-11 families but there were a lot of 9-11 families that were doing the same thing yeah so they're collecting information and they've got binders full of news clippings. And they said that they felt that the US was at risk, not just because of terrorism, but because of their own government. So they began to push for an independent investigation into the 9-11 attacks. Mm. And they would go around to Congress members and meet with them and present all of their questions, which we will get more into, like, that kind of stuff a bit later on. So... A 9-11 commission bill began to be sponsored in Congress by Congress people because basically the Jersey girls and the other 9-11 families were heavily lobbying. They were yeah. just going around and just being like, you need to investigate this. You need to get behind the 9-11 families. Mm. And obviously it riled up the Bush administration who did not want an official investigation into the events of 9-11. Shocking. Yeah, absolutely. And like it's mad to me they didn't want to investigate the most shocking and horrifying attack on u.s soil well i mean i've always said this um if this is slander i apologize but um bush wanted a war well he absolutely wanted he wanted a war i always say it as he wanted to do daddy proud 
Well, there's that and there's a lot of other stuff going on, but it's 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 intensely complicated and I don't claim to know like the reason why no. this happened. All I know is that there are a lot of questions that haven't been answered. But... Yeah, yeah. Like so, I, I found it really bizarre that he what that George Bush wasn't at any of the nine eleven memorial stuff. He was in Shanksville. Oh well okay. Oh sorry. Yeah. But why why wouldn't he be in New York though? Probably because he does i don't know i don't know i don't know because um his like his uh like image public image is i feel like being whitewashed a lot like i feel i I might be wrong with it but i think because of us like us our generation millennial generation we can remember the pure ineptitude of george w bush yes right and what it was like to live through that time when he like even though we're in the uk like Everybody knew how awful he was. Oh, gotcha, yeah. Whereas I feel like now with a lot of younger generations, they can't, like they don't have a recollection of that time. So they're just kind of like relying on documentaries and stuff. And these mm. documentaries are kind of painting him as like this kindly grandpa that hangs oh, yeah. out with fucking Ellen doing art. Yeah, no. And it's like... <laughs> no. It's madness. I remember when I was like 13 years old and I went on my first Stop the War march around Iraq and we would just, um, we would hold signs that would say like Blyer for Blair. Yeah. And then it'd be like George Bush, world's number one terrorist. Well, you know. Which is the truth. Allegedly. I'm not even going to say allegedly. No. Um, so the Jersey girls started to appear in the media a lot and they basically utilised the media to push for an investigation. They were in major magazines, they were interviewed on news channels. Like, they were really, really big. Like A lot of people commenting on them. They were in like Vanity Fair and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and I feel like this is something I want to bring up here. It's like... In the early days after 9-11, it was perfectly acceptable to question the official narrative of what happened. Like, people were on mainstream news asking questions, which is a far cry away from now, where, like, I was watching a little bit of the memorial yesterday, and it does have that feel of, like, whitewashing history. Like, back in the day, there were all of these celebrities coming forward being like, we've got questions about the official narrative of 9-11. Like, tons and tons and tons of them. Now, Spike Lee has a section in a an entire series about 9-11 that that focuses on people that have questions about it right and he's like slandered in the media and forced to edit it out of his documentary it's 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 crazy because i think people believe this narrative that has been portrayed in all of these documentaries that bush was a hero i lost you there you lost yourself there all right hold on where were we at to just start from, um, it's crazy. It's crazy because um, I think where people have seen all these documentaries and like like you said earlier, people forget that, mm. and they he's painted as this, you know, like you say, kindly old grandpa, this hero that you know reacted mm. and saved America and all mm. this stuff, and then went in and fought the bad man. It's like there's a hell of a lot more than it to it than that, like. But I've got this thing, right? And I felt I spoke about this a little bit before about that BBC documentary that came out that 
interviewed George Bush. Mm. And it's like we've all just accepted that is exactly what they told us, despite the fact that 9-11 families to this day are still pushing for investigations and lawsuits and answers to the question. But I do have a theory on this. Okay. I've put half of it down to the censoring and deplatforming of anything that's deemed a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. And I also put it down to the rise of the Instagram infographic. Okay. And I won't be elaborating any further at this time. Okay. Um, but it is a theory that I'm working on, and I think um, Coney 2012 was the beginning of Oh, the my end. God, I remember Coney 2012. Right? right? Like, yeah. it's like we're being given these infographics, and we're just being force-fed this one narrative. Like, yeah. this, is the, this is the overarching opinion. Mm-hmm. Don't stray from this opinion, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like I saw so much of it when um, the US pulled out of Afghanistan. There was yeah. a lot of infographics going around being like, oh my God, this is such a bad thing. This is why the um, the US should stay in Afghanistan, infographic. Like, mm-hmm. I got a lot of opinions on it because it appeals to people that are... Um, not interested in politics. And I don't blame people that aren't interested in politics because as you're going to see, it's complicated and fucking like, it takes so much effort to try and decipher things. I feel like they purposely make it that way anyway. So in November 2002, George Bush authorised the creation of a so-called independent inquiry into the 9-11 attacks after pressure from the Jersey Girls and other 9-11 families. Now, originally, George Bush appointed Henry Kissinger to the head of the investigation, which was obviously a massive red flag for anybody that pays attention to politics. Uh, Without going into too much detail, Henry Kissinger was involved in a military coup in Chile, um, involved in a lot of shady shit in Vietnam, long history of literal war crimes um interestingly enough the economist saw fit to give him a platform recently to pontificate on why we should have stayed in afghanistan but it's a different different subject different story for a different day so um a group of family members requested a meeting with kissinger and before the meeting there was extensive research undertaken to figure out whether he had any conflicts of interest and he actually had business relationships with the bin laden family which was a very clear conflict of interest so he eventually stepped down he was replaced by Thomas Keane and Lee Hamilton and the commission director was a man named Philip Zalakow. They were initially given a $3 million budget to investigate, which was later bumped to $14 million. To use a comparison, the investigation into Bill Clinton's dodgy affairs cost $60 million. Wow. Um, the families created a group called the 9-11 Family Steering Committee, which, if they had been formed today, would be deplatformed and classified as lunatic fringe conspiracy theorists because they questioned the official narrative of um, September 11th. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I keep reiterating it. I just, I, It irks me so much that questioning a major historical event has become so frowned upon. Anyway. I mean, I, I mean, I... I'm I'm in a bit of a grey area with with that one. Why? Because I mean I d- by the way I do not agree with this what I'm this this stance FYI just prefacing that. Go on. Um but you by saying that I don't know it, does it open the you know holocaust deniers? No. 
Because what you do, I think there's a massive difference between somebody that says 9/11 didn't happen Mm. and somebody that said 9/11 happened. It was awful. How do we make sure that something like this never happens again? And how do we make sure that the people that perpetrated it are held to justice and held to account? Yeah, no, massive difference. Okay, yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah, it's like I know what you mean. And it's like this this thing, it, it, because of the, the sheer breadth of the tragedy and the, mm. the loss of life and how awful and traumatic that event is and the psyche of so many people that question it becomes this taboo thing. And it's not, you're not, like, this is my problem with a lot of 9-11 conspiracy theorists is I, I absolutely detest the people that will sit there and they will say that there's no planes. Yeah. I don't like the people that sit there and they say that mm. the phone calls didn't exist, all this kind of stuff. Those people, I honestly, I know that some some people are going to come for me and whatever, I don't even care. I think that they um, do a massive disservice to every single person that died that day when they say shit like that. And they also do a disservice to the 9-11 families who are still desperately... And I make... This is why I'm focusing on this very specific angle of this because this is the 9-11 families, right? Yeah. Like, without them, they were the ones that questioned. They were the ones that pushed for answers. I get that, but then I'm going to... I think... I don't I don't agree. I don't think this, but by then saying that people saying oh there were no planes is doing a disservice to the family. Mm. On the flip side you could say, well, someone saying that the government were involved is doing a disservice to the family because But that's what I'm I'm not saying that the guy this is this see, this is where I have a difference of opinion with a lot of people that are into like nine eleven truth movements and mm. stuff. Mm. Is that my whole angle on this and my whole thing is we haven't been the tr- told the truth do no. i think that the u.s government were involved i couldn't tell you yeah. because there are so many different questions that haven't been answered but as we will get on to um later on mm. we know that they were warned several times and did nothing about it and we know that they um the cia were involved in we're gonna get into it okay we're gonna get into all of those okay theories. okay Everybody take a deep breath. We're going to get through this together. Mm-hmm. I believe in you. <laughs> so, at the beginning of the investigation, um, much to the anger of the 9-11 families, the people that testified were not placed under oath. The families were also incredibly angered by the lack of serious questioning. There was a lot of softball questions going mm. on. Mm. And a lot of people just, um, in the documentary, they said it was a lot of people throwing accolades at each other. Right. Um, they created a list of questions for almost every single person that testified And believe it or not, those questions went unasked. They also uncovered that Philip Zelikow had close connections to the Bush administration. He was a close friend of Condoleezza Rice. He served on Bush's transitional team in early 2000 and was part of Bush's Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board. It is alleged that Zelikow had at least four private conversations with former White House political director Karl Rove and appears to have had many frequent telephone conversations with people in the White House. The 9-11 Commission staff kept a record only of calls that Philip Zelikow received, but Government Accountability Office records show his frequent calls to a 456 telephone exchange in the 202 area code, which is used exclusively by the White House. Right. Um, Philip Zelikow allegedly also ordered his assistant to stop keeping a log of his calls, although the commission's general counsel overruled him. Who is um, Philip, who is Philip Zelikow? Just Philip Zelikow was the director of the nine eleven commission report. Right. Okay. Okay. So yeah. basically, he 
it's it's like um i'd liken it to when the royal family did an inquest into the death of diana um and hired <laughs> people that you know if, yeah, if it's like it's people the... want to find out if you are the reason why this happened yeah i'm not going to trust it if you're going to hire people that are in your pocket yeah exactly exactly um so there was also allegations um that well he so first philip zelikow basically pledged to have no contact with carl rove and condoleezza rice during his work for the 9-11 commission report there were allegations from panel staffers who believed that philip zelikow stopped them from submitting a report depicting Condoleezza Rice and George Bush's performance as amounting to incompetence or something not far from it. Mm. Despite all of this, Philip Zelikow did refuse to resign and the family's concerns were dismissed. Now, it is reported that Carl Rove was fearful that the 9-11 commission report would um, lay the blame at Bush's doorstep and ruin his chance of re-election. So obviously the White House are trying to undermine the work of the commission to begin with. That's just um, such, it's such bullshit. That shouldn't be yeah, the important... Exactly. That's not important. What's important well, is finding deflect. out what Just fucking to... happened. Yeah, well, exactly. But they don't. But if they. But, but if we found out that what would happen, it would implicate. It would raise a lot of questions about what the Bush administration and the CIA were doing prior to nine eleven, and we'll get onto that because I'll, it's, I'll it's, literally lay it all out. I'm it's lay like that. It all it's out. like that fucking inquest into how the UK government has handled the coronavirus pandemic. It's like, <laughs> fuck you, like. I'm sorry. And then, and then like and then like Boris Johnson getting his dad Stanley. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> I'm sorry but no, I it's yeah. it's all done to make sure that they can get reelected and they can yeah. stay in power and it's like Yeah. Fuck you. Well sorry. the the people the no, no. I'm getting angry. The um the uh people on the 9/11 commission said that it was set up to fail. Mm. That's what they said. Um yeah. the White House lawyers um attempted to stonewall the creation of the commission from the very beginning and to hamstring its work from the outset. Um only a small minority of people on the commission were allowed to read classified documents and their notes were scrutinized and reviewed. They basically had to clear what they were going to say with the White House mm. beforehand. So they're looking for all these classes like you got a, literally there was like three of them on the, on the thing that were allowed to look at classified documents then they could make notes and then they had to clear it with the white house that's that's crazy yeah so, um, so at um, this point ugh. i think this podcast is really going to be really interesting because you aren't very you're okay i don't mean to sound bad but you're not very you're not as political as me no right no and i get very very into this stuff so it's basically like me talking to somebody that's not very political about 9-11 i think it's yeah. quite interesting yeah um, so it's at this point that the Jersey girls and the rest of the 9-11 families really lost hope with the investigation and politicians were going on mainstream news saying that the entire thing's a sham, mm. set up to fail, all of that kind of stuff going on. As the investigation continued, um, Bush, Cheney and Condoleezza Rice all initially refused to testify in front of the commission about what they knew. And it's in this time that Richard Clark comes forward to testify in front of the commission. Now, Richard Clark was a national coordinator for security, infrastructure protection and counterterrorism for the US between 1998 and 2003. And Richard Clark essentially said that the warnings were all there. He had personally tried to warn the Bush administration that something was going to happen, like Al-Qaeda, terrorism, mm. we need to be on alert. Yeah. Um, the Bush administration was adamant that they had no idea that this 
was going to happen and that all of the warnings were not specific in nature and which was totally untrue and we're going to get onto that later on there was another big campaign to discredit um, Richard Clark and undermine his um, credibility and some allege that Philip Zelikow was involved in this because of his connections with Condoleezza Rice. We're going to get more onto Richard Clark in a bit as okay. well because okay. he's a very interesting person. Um, Condoleezza Rice eventually did testify in front of the commission but Bush and Cheney would only meet with the commission together behind closed doors and not under oath. <laughs> Which is wild. That's like, that's crazy. Like absolutely insane. And obviously, it was a move that was criticised not only by nine eleven families, but the media at the time. The media were just being like, "Why are these two people, the most important people to be questioning about this? Yeah. They only want to face questions together, mm. not on an open thing, so people can't see it. People can't. There's no transcript of what they spoke about, and none of them are under oath." That's baffling to me. What's the point of them even having the conversation? Like There isn't any point. It's ugh. In July t- uh, 2004, the commission published the final report into 9/11 and the families were appalled that only a small number of their questions were asked. Mm. The media started um to kind of question why the 9/11 families weren't happy with the report and it kind of started this way of thinking about 9/11 that has got that's become more pervasive over time that Mm. it was an event that could have never have been stopped um it was inconceivable nobody could have ever imagined that anybody would do it and therefore it was almost inevitable that it was going to happen and we just need to accept that it happened stop asking questions and get over it Mm. and the media essentially began to buy the party line on 9-11 despite these massive questions still going unanswered but this is where independent media stepped in so Paul Thompson created a website called The Complete 9-11 Timeline. It's on historycommons.org. And as I said at the beginning, it's an open project that you can still access online. And it is a published book now. And I would recommend if you're interested in 9-11 to look at the site because it's got absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. So um, we've covered the Jersey Girls and the 9-11 families getting the commission report set up and ultimately being completely let down with the lack of thorough independent investigation. Yeah. So let's get on to some of the most important things that the Jersey girls and the 9-11 families point to when they talk about the need for answers and a truly independent investigation. Okay. So we're going to begin with the pre-warnings. So the Bush administration constantly made statements about they, they're basically saying there was no specific threats or warnings that would give anybody the suspicion that terrorists were going to attack within the US. Bullshit. This is completely untrue. <laughs> Bullshit. So, exactly. It really is, right? So, the president receives um, a PDB. So, it's a presidential daily briefing. And mm-hmm. on August 6th, George Bush, I, I think it was like George Bush wasn't really reading his daily briefings, but he requested Was it, it because he couldn't 6th. read? Probably. <laughs> maybe because it didn't come with pictures. Or maybe it was because he was just too busy playing fucking golf. Or yeah, something maybe. Like that. Maybe um, he was just too busy being a twat. God knows. Anyway, so on August 6th, he received a PDB that essentially said that bin Laden was planning an attack on US soil using hijacked aircraft. Mm-hmm. Now, this PDB um, was, it wasn't really supposed to be released to the public. It got released to the public and it blows massive holes in the Bush administration's denial that they knew anything was coming. Yeah. Um, 
and there there are so many like if you go back there are so many pre-warnings and also like the things like this you know have been kind of foiled before so one of the earliest examples of terrorists plotting to use planes as weapons comes from 1995 there was a plot called Operation Bojinka, which was a plan to blow up commercial airliners over the Pacific Ocean. And they also wanted to hijack commercial aircraft and dive them into CIA headquarters. Other locations listed included the Pentagon and the World Trade Center. Right. Um, a year before 9-11, a man named Niaz Khan came forward to say that he had been trained by followers of Osama bin Laden to hijack airplanes and that he was in the US to carry out an attack. He literally spoke to the FBI. He passed two lie detector tests mm-hmm. and apparently the word came from FBI headquarters to return him to London and forget about it. Madness. Why? Like... Ugh. In July 2001, Egyptian intelligence got a report that 20 Al-Qaeda members had entered the US and that four of them were having flight training. Information was passed to the CIA. CIA did nothing. And there are so many reports of prior knowledge of 9-11 that it is so anger-inducing when you look at it. There I were... Mean- I mean, you have you, you. Some people will say, "Oh, well, the government was in on it. They they knew it was going to happen, but they knew it was going to happen." But um, and people think, "Oh, well, they they did this on purpose." When it sounds like it may have just been fucking incompetence. No, see, we're going to get no? we're going to go further into it. Okay, or, okay, because, okay, cool. Because that's because that again is a, is another thing of like, okay, we're just going to blame it on incompetence. But there are a lot of factors here that point to it being something more right. than incompetence. Again, I don't know, and I'm not going to put us put out any theory. All okay. I'm doing is asking the questions. But I I personally think that with everything that I know about it, mm. it points to something more than incompetence. Okay. Um, 14 different countries gave warnings to the US um, about possible Al-Qaeda attacks. August 2001, Morocco warned that bin Laden and Al-Qaeda were preparing to attack New York in the summer or fall of 2001. Again in August, the UK warned three times that Al-Qaeda were planning an attack with aeroplanes. Apparently this was passed to Bush. Nothing happened. In July 2001, Bush attended the G8 summit in Italy and there were threats of terrorism. Um, Russia warned that bin laden and al-qaeda were planning to assassinate george bush right it was so while he's at the g8 summit in july it was also reported that terrorists would try and crash a plane to kill him right so bush and his advisors and his family and and i think like the other people that were at the g8 summit they stayed on a boat because of the threat of terrorism specifically from planes okay so yeah i I retract my statement about incompetence because (laughs) this is this goes way beyond incompetence (laughs) like yeah so despite all this they say like we didn't know that planes would be used nobody could foresee the world trade center or the pentagon being used as targets for terrorism um condoleezza rice literally said that the August 6th PDB did not warn of any coming attacks within the US. She was then asked to read out the title of the memo. Oh, my God. The title of the memo was Osama bin Laden determined to attack within the United States. So I'm not sure. Anyway, also important to note that the Attorney General at the time, who is John Ashcroft, who is known famously for his stunning rendition of Let the Eagle Soar. It's time to let... 
the mighty eagle soar once more. Let the eagle soar. Oh my god. Literally, Emily sent me this video being like, I'm just going to send you this a couple of videos so you know what I'm talking about the podcast. My god. Where is he doing that? I, could, I don't even know. It's not, even it's, know. it's not even like a concert setup. It's like he's no, clearly it's... speaking somewhere and just decided yeah. to sing this song about eagles. Oh, no, no. It's, well, it's let the eagle soar like she's never sworn before and it's all built up to the Iraq war. That was very rhymey. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Like, I don't, yeah. I, I will never understand the mentality of people that are pro-war. I'm like, I don't get it. Well, a lot of them are pro-war because that's how they made a lot of their money. But anyway, that's that's, an, that's another podcast. Maybe yeah. we should do... We just become like a total politics podcast. So um, John Ashcroft um, basically was advised and began to uh, travel by specially chartered jets after a threat assessment from the FBI. On the evening of September 10th, um, surface-to-air missiles were put on the roof of the resort where George Bush was staying. If you think that that is normal, that wasn't, like, a normal thing to do. No. And Newsweek reported in the days after 9-11 that several Pentagon officials had cancelled their flights the night before the attacks. Oh, my God. But there's no, like, it was reported in Newsweek and then it just kind of, like, went away. It Fizzled was never away, really yeah. spoken about again. And there's so much of that. Like, these little things will come out in the media and then they're just not really covered again. Yeah. And that's what I mean about there being so many unanswered questions. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to get into the Saudi-Arabian connection to 9-11. And a key point to flag here is that the week after 9-11, 13 of Osama bin Laden's relatives were flown out of the U.S., um, they were flown out in the days after the airports were reopening. A lot of people like to say that, like, all of the airplanes were grounded and the Bin Laden family were flown out. That's not what happened. Basically, one of Bin Laden's brothers had contacted Prince Bandar bin Sultan al Saud, um, who was a Saudi Arabia, who was Saudi Arabia's ambassador to the US, and he rang him up like looking for protection. Mm. Now, Prince Bandar. So he, Prince Bandar is part of the Saudi royal family, right? right? Okay. Um, and Prince Bandar is the ambassador, US ambassador okay. to Saudi Arabia. Okay. And he had such a close relationship with the Bush family that they used to call him Bandar Bush. Right, and okay. There's a, really, there a really, really good book that I would recommend for anybody that's interested in, like, like the Bush family yeah. and, and Saudi Arabia is a book called House of Bush, House of Saud. Okay. Um. So key points to know about the Saudi Arabian connections to 9-11. So the Bin Laden family are an incredibly wealthy family that are connected to the Saudi royal family. Their business is called the Saudi Bin Laden Group, which is a construction company. Osama himself was a Saudi national, and along with 15 of the 19 hijackers on September 11th. Yeah, so the, the, the media didn't really say that, did they? they no. Would, they just said that they were, you know, 
Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda, yeah. And it's like... Now, this is where it gets a little bit complicated. So, like, if play, like if I confuse you, if you think that I'm, you're getting confused or anything, like, ask me questions because it, it's it, it, this is the point that I think that a lot of people should understand. I mean, I want to say hashtag, hashtag girlboss gatekeep, but <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Good Lord. If I'm stupid, so, yeah, just tell no, me. No, 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 because I think you're stupid. No, no. Because it's complicated. <laughs> no, if I'm stupid. I didn't mean to say if I'm stupid. I meant to say if I'm lost. Fucking hell. Okay, yeah, okay exactly. yeah, I'll tell Right. So, two of the hijackers on 9-11, um, Khalid al-Midar mm-hmm. and Nawaf al-Hazmi, were the first to arrive in the US and they arrived in January 2000. Right. And they lived in San Diego, which is Southern California, for a mm-hmm. year and a half. Now, they were identified as being part of Al-Qaeda because they had been at a big Al-Qaeda meeting that was like this summit meeting that went on for a couple of days in Kuala Lumpur in January 2000. Before, like it was oh, like a week or so before they had um, gone to the US. And that meeting was monitored. It was monitored by the Malaysian government and the cia were involved in it they they basically knew that these guys had been an al-qaeda meeting right okay so in may of last year may 2020 the fbi accidentally released the name of a saudi official who was suspected of helping the hijackers um, his name were, is Masad Ahmed Al-Jara. Right. And he was a senior diplomat who worked with Prince Bandar and he was allegedly tasked with assisting the hijackers in San Diego um, who were Mid- Midhar and Hazmi. Right. Because they spoke very little English. Okay. Then there was a guy, um, well, <laughs> two guys. There was uh, Omar al-Biyumi. I'm really sorry if I'm butchering these names. Mm. And uh, Farhad al-Tumeri. Now, Bayumi was on the payroll of a Saudi defence contractor. And Bayumi was the person that basically helped these two hijackers in San Diego open bank accounts, apply for social security and driving licences, right. helped them find a place to live and ultimately assisted in getting them flying lessons. So now, did this guy... I know what was what he was doing it for well let's wait okay <laughs> we don't really have the answers to that right okay so to mary was a diplomat um who worked in the saudi consulate's office in los angeles and the fbi found phone records between Tumeri and bayumi and the fbi suspected that Tumeri also worked to help Midar and Hazmi after their arrival because he had this connection with Omar al-Biyumi who was basically, like, helping the, the them hijacker, get two set of the up. Guys, yeah. yeah, get set up in the US. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also um, Osama Baznan, who was another Saudi in San, Di- San Diego and was a suspected spy. Now, at this point, his wife begins receiving monthly checks of between $2,000 and $3,500 from the wife of Prince Bandar, okay? Um, the Saudis, The Saudis insisted that Bandar's wife sent the money as part of a charitable effort to help with medical bills for Baznan's wife, who was ill at the time. But FBI investigators believe that a chunk of that money ended up with Bayoumi, and Bayoumi is helping, or Bayoumi, or however you pronounce his name, he is helping um, these Saudi Arabian terrorists get set up 
in San Diego. Right, right? So okay. This so there's that connection to Saudi, I guess, ro- is it royalty or...? Saudi royalty so, and yeah. Saudi intelligence. Right, okay. Then there's the 28 partially released pages of the 9-11 Commission report that were originally redacted. There's still a lot of information to come out that's been withheld. Mm. But one piece of information that I find really interesting um, is that they captured an Al-Qaeda operative in March 2002 and they found his phone book. Okay, And when they went through it, they found a bunch of US telephone numbers, including the phone number of the ASPCO Corporation in Aspen, Colorado. The ASPCO Corporation manages the affairs of the Colorado residents of, you guessed it, Prince Bandar. The FBI also noted that ASPCO has an unlisted phone number. So how did this person, the the Al-Qaeda operative, have it? Now, I'm not accusing, I'm making very clear... These are not accusations, these are questions. And they should be answered, right? Also important to note that the 9-11 families are in the process of suing the Saudi Arabian government for compensation. And um, Joe Biden is encouraging the release of documents pertaining to Saudi involvement. But I don't really hold much hope for it. It feels like the UFO reports, basically, like, oh, we're going to release this, we're going to release it, or I've ordered the government to release all of they, all that they know. Things get released, but they're very heavily redacted. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Grandpa um, Joe ain't going to release the whole thing. I do not think so. No. So I also want to touch on an element of 9-11 that isn't really discussed, and it's information I got from the audio documentary um, Who is Rich Blee? Now, at the time of 9-11, you've got George Tenet, who is the director of the CIA, right. and you have Kofa Black, who is the director of the CIA's counter-terrorism centre. Now, according to Richard Clark, remember Richard Clark, who was basically in the 9-11 t- uh, commission, saying that, that I was trying to raise the flags yeah. like before 9-11? Yeah. According to him, in the years before 9-11, they knew that Al-Qaeda was a serious threat and they were motivated to get people on the inside to essentially recruit Al-Qaeda members as double agents. What we did after the embassy bombings was we came up with an interagency approved strategy. Some of that involved CIA, some involved the State Department, some involved the Defense Department, some involved the FBI. What I was told by CIA at the time was that they were now going to try for the first time to get sources on the inside. Now, allegedly, the CIA knew that Nawaf al-Hazmi and Khalid al-Madar were in Bangkok in January 2000 because they'd tracked them from this Al-Qaeda meeting in January 2000 to Bangkok. And that they, the CIA knew that they then went on to enter the USA and they ended up in San Diego. Now, remember how earlier we were talking about how the CIA knew that they were part of Al-Qaeda because they were at that summit in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. They know that these uh, Al-Qaeda people. So... Richard Clark explains that back in the day, he would get like 100 to 150 CIA reports a day at the White House, and he would scan through them. They come through automatically. You understand the way they update us at the White House is every morning I come in, I turn on my computer, and I get 100, 150 CIA reports. I'm not relying on somebody calling me and telling me things. You have to intentionally stop it. You have to intervene and say, no, I don't want that report to go. He basically says, like, 
you don't rely on anybody to call him. Like, the, the CIA don't call him and go, like, we've got this thing, we've got this thing. Like, it, it will come through automatically. Like, the wires, right? They have these, right. like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intelligence wires that come yeah. through. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it's all done automatically. So, he wondered why, despite the fact that CIA's Bin Laden unit knew that these two guys were in the country by spring 2000, that neither him nor the FBI were notified. Now, two FBI agents that were part of the CIA's Bin Laden unit did discover that Al-Hazmi and Al-Madar had entry visas to the US and they did attempt to alert the FBI, but higher-ups in the CIA basically refused to pass on the information. Tom Wilshire, uh, as well as uh, Desk Officer Michelle, accessed the cable mentioning the UBL Associates coming to the, uh, to the United States, the March cable, uh, and they also accessed the original Malaysian cable about the visa multiple times. On these subsequent times, if he shook something loose, he had full range of opportunity to alert you. He did, but he wouldn't have to. Because unless somebody intervened to stop the normal automatic distribution, mm -hmm. I would automatically get it. Why? Now, it was later blamed on a lack of communication between the CIA and the FBI. And this is this is pertaining to your point of, like, could it just not be incompetence, yeah. right? Yeah. Like people didn't pass on the right information mm. according to richard clark for him to not get that information someone would have had to have intentionally stopped it oh right because there the, is... the 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 anything that was happening would have come through automatically like you said yeah like on, yeah. The, on the, the reports that he gets through every single day yeah for him to not get that someone had to have intercepted it and he concludes that there was a high level decision in the cia potentially made by george Tenet not to share that information we therefore conclude that there was a high level decision in the cia ordering people not to share that information how high level i would think it would have to be made by the director and he basically, you've got to remember, one thing you have to remember about him is he has a really, he had a really close relationship with George Tenet. Like, mm. they would speak every single day, several times a day, and they would share information. He was like, they, we always spoke. He speaks about George Tenet, he, he, like, as this guy who is constantly reading, like, raw CIA reports. Yeah. He wants all of the information. If something is going on, George Tenet fucking knows about it. Right, right? yeah. So there's this, obviously surprising to Richard Clark that there's this huge piece of information. Two Al-Qaeda terrorists have entered the US. They're living under their real names in San Diego, mm -hmm. and it's never relayed to him. That is... Why not? That's sus. Why not inform the White House that dangerous terrorists have entered the USA? Exactly. That's the question. Now, Clark's yeah. theory is that the CIA were trying to recruit the two hijackers. The, I have thought about this a lot, and there's only one conceivable reason that I've been able to come up with. Now, there may be other reasons, but I've only been able to come up with one. When Kofor Black became the head of the Counterterrorism Center at CIA, he was aghast that they had no sources in Al-Qaeda. So he told me, I'm going to try to get sources in Al-Qaeda. I can understand them possibly saying, we need to develop sources inside Al-Qaeda. When we do that, we can't tell anybody about it. And I can understand them perhaps seeing these two guys show up in the United States and thinking, aha, this is our chance to flip them 
this is our chance to get guys inside Al Qaeda. So this kind of links with what we were talking about earlier, which is the Saudi connections. Like a lot of people believe that Al Bayoumi was a Saudi intelligence officer. Mm. Now, on August 21st, 2001, the CIA actually informed the FBI that the terrorists were inside the US. Right. And the FBI tried to search for them and they failed, okay? Right. Like, and it wasn't, so it gets a little bit complicated. So on September 4th, Bush cabinet advisors met to discuss the impending terrorism threat, right. but it was never mentioned that the terrorists were inside the US. So like, but I think it was like when the FBI were investigating, they kind of like did a, like a cursory investigation. And again, like it wasn't, it wasn't like flagged. But that's like a big thing. If they know mm-hmm. that, if they know that there are these threats right. that are being made to the US from exactly. Al Qaeda, and then there are Al Qaeda. So- yeah, it's crazy. So on September 4th, when the Bush cabinet advisors all meet up to discuss the impending terrorism threat, and there's like obviously people there as well, like different advisors, yeah. it was never mentioned that the terror- terrorists were inside the US. And Richard Clark basically says that the CIA were putting their own asses ahead of national security, mm-hmm. and that even he was to- that even if he was told, so if he was told on September 4th, terrorists are inside the US yeah. that they would have conducted a huge sweep and potentially for like he was like we would have got a wire out wire out for them and he called it like a, a AP wire or something like that mm. um, and and got their photographs they were living under their real names they would have found them immediately and they would have got to them before September 11th if they announce on September 4th in the principals meeting that these guys are in the United States and they told the FBI a few weeks ago I'm going to say, wait, time out. How long have you known this? Why haven't you reported it at the daily threat meetings? Why isn't it in the daily threat matrix? We would have begun an investigation that day into CIA malfeasance and misfeasance. That's why we're not informed. So they put their own asses above national security. If you believe all of this, I can't prove this. I have a set of facts. I'm trying to make sense of those facts, and I'm trying to come up with an explanation as to why those facts that we know are true occurred. And by the way, if they had, even as late as September 4th, told me, we would have conducted a massive sweep. We would have conducted it publicly. We would have found those assholes. There's no doubt in my mind. Even with only a week left, They were using credit cards in their own names. They were staying in the Charles Hotel in Harvard Square, for heaven's sake. We would have found them. If we had taken those pictures and put them out on the AP wire, those guys would have been arrested within 24 hours. So there's there's basically, um, I guess, um, it's not conspiracy theory, but a theory that potentially the CIA were trying to hire these two hijackers as double agents for Mm. the CIA. Which That's is his why... theory, and he's well. He's very clear that he can't prove those allegations. Yeah. But the evidence really does point to a deliberate information. Uh, sorry, a deliberate withholding of information. Mm. Like, be it because they're trying to recruit within Al Qaeda or for other purposes. Yeah. And it's important to note that none of this came out during the 9/11 Commission. It was only afterwards that information began trickling out. If you can hear. The ambience in the background, that's people outside Martin's house. Sorry, just shouting. Council Estate Life. 
Once again, we are a working class podcast for working class people. We really are. We really are. Apologies. Now, obviously, the 9-11 attacks were used as a pretext to war in Afghanistan. And um, the Taliban were accused of harboring Osama bin Laden. And apparently, Bush wanted to go in and get him along with the rest of al-Qaeda. Mm. Um, <laughs> Bless you. Bless me. Now, if capturing Osama bin Laden and wiping out al-Qaeda was the goal, then the invasion of Afghanistan was a crushing defeat, to say the very least, Um, Mm. especially with what's happening now. I think it's important to talk about what happened there in the early days because there's a lot of people kind of saying, like, oh, my God, we should have never have left. What have we done? It's like, we should have never have been there to begin with. And the occupation of Afghanistan was... Like, this is inevitable. Yeah. This yeah. was always what was going to end up happening. And I mean, the, there's just... Like I say, I am i don't... I don't understand the war mentality. Like, I don't understand, mm. like, why... How you think bombing somewhere is going to stop... Well, they went in under false pretenses. <laughs> yeah, about, was it, what, like, weapons of mass destruction. Well, that was, that was Iraq. Okay. Iraq was weapons of mass destruction. So the reason that they the, the reason they claimed to want to go into Afghanistan was because they accused the Taliban of hiding harboring and harboring bin Laden and Al Qaeda, right? Right. Yeah. And they were like, "That's the reason we're going in." Um, but as I'm about to lay out for you, um, their conduct in Afghanistan really didn't prove their um, claim that they cared about capturing bin Laden. Okay. Um, In early November 2001, the Times reported that bin Laden's closest advisors had all escaped from Kabul. And there was a witness account where this witness said, we don't understand how they weren't all killed the night before because they came in a convoy of at least a thousand cars and trucks. Oh my God. Yeah. This is like a huge operation we're talking about. This isn't just like they want you to believe it's It's just like one dude in a cave. It's not like they just snuck out you know what i mean like yeah there was it, yeah. thousands of them yeah yes as we're, we're gonna go into it so by the 10th of november 2001 bin laden had joined this convoy in um jalalabad which is very close to the border between um afghanistan and pakistan so it's in afghanistan but really close to pakistani um border mm-hmm. and an intelligence official said that the border with pakistan was the key but no one paid attention to it al-qaeda escaped right out from under our feet um on november november 14th the northern alliance captured jalalabad and the northern alliance um were basically a military alliance of groups that were basically against the taliban it was a very simplistic explanation right of the okay northern alliance but like the northern alliance was like afghan people against the taliban yeah simplistically yes okay it's a right. it's an alliance of groups it's yeah. very, like yeah they, they were against the taliban basically yeah. um but again that night november 10th mm-hmm. 1000 fighters escaped with bin laden to tora bora tora bora okay. where's tora tora bora is also like the on the border on the border okay on the border um the us bombed jalalabad airport but did not attack the convoy that included bin laden so you basically got like a thousand like they try and say that it's like it's you and you've got this image of bin laden just like running through the desert like with just yeah. a couple of blokes yeah this was a massive convoy yeah no, of I, people i never knew that like you just assume that 
And like you say, it's just he's running through the desert and living yes. like on, in a cave, like just him and a couple of blokes. Exactly. It's like it's like the whole thing is Saddam Hussein found in the underground bunker with some fun-sized Mars bars. It's yeah, like, it's like, know. dude, come on. <laughs> But that's not... Anyway, so um, on November 15th in Tora Bora, Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda are essentially surrounded by US forces and right. the US are working with Pakistani troops to block the escape routes. Okay. And there were two escape routes from where they were. So Tora Bora, they are in this like cave complex mm-hmm. um, and there were two escape routes into Pakistan. Right. The US bombed one Bin Laden goes through the other one, Why straight would, into Pakistan. See, that just, I, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Why right. only one? Like Because they didn't care about capturing him. Oh, okay. They didn't care about capturing him. They, their actions make it very, very clear. Like, And there's a hilarious clip of George Bush in the 9-11 Press for Truth documentary where he literally says, of course we're after Saddam Hussein. I mean, Bin Laden. Of course we're after Saddam Hussein. I mean, uh, Bin Laden. He's, 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 he's isolated. Okay, so at this point, I am just going to bring up very quickly, um, and a lot of people might roll their eyes at me and be like, oh, here we go, this is verging on the conspiracy thing. But like back in, I think it was 2000, Mm -hmm. there was this thing that was set up called the Project for a New American Century. Right. And um, on this committee were a lot of neoconservatives that were part of the Bush administration. Right. And they essentially were talking about um, like rebuild, it was like rebuilding America's defences. And it was Mm. essentially about the American empire. Like we need to expand the American empire. It was a lot to do with Iraq and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they literally wrote, um, it was it was basically like the US to like drum up support for the war, mm. for a war, like and the expansion of US empire. Um, there will need to be a cataclysmic. Cataclysmic. No, it's like catalyzing, a catalyzing, a catalyzing event yeah. akin to a Pearl Harbor, a new Pearl Harbor. Right. That's what they wrote. I'm not See, making the, the, any, any We're not making any accusations, but this goes to the whole thing of like they wanted a war. Mm. Definitely. Well, I don't even. I don't even think it was. They it's wanted power. War, they a, want power. Yeah, it was about occupation. Okay, so I and just it's have expansion a, of the U.S. empire. I have a question, and again, if I'm stu- being stupid, tell me what does the Iraq War have to do with 9/11? Nothing. Okay. There was nothing. Okay. There was no, there was zero connection. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> like none. But what did the, was there any connection in the media or is it just completely different? No, so, well, they, they Cut said. this because um, I'm being stupid, but. No, no, I don't actually think we should keep this in because okay. it's important because okay. it, it's like, it highlights this thing about like, they essentially, they pivoted from, it, the, the initial thing was, we're going to Afghanistan, we're going to get Bin Laden. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And then um, once they'd like gone into Afghanistan, mm. fucked it up for whatever reason, whether you think it's purposeful, whether yeah. you think that they weren't really after him, it doesn't really matter. It, yeah. it, you know, what happened is what happened. Yeah. And then immediately after that, it was Saddam Hussein has got weapons of mass destruction. And um, Saddam Hussein, I remember some of the lies that I used to watch on the television when I was about 12 years old. And they'd say that Saddam Hussein can launch an attack within 20 yes, minutes. Yes, I remember that. And I, I, as being a young teen, I was constantly terrified that 
about the Saddam Hussein That's see, Isn't that thing. so funny? Because that's the difference between me and you. Because I started a petition in, in school where yeah. I was like, Saddam Hussein does not have weapons of mass destruction and the Iraq war is an absolute disaster. Like, sign this yeah. if you're against the Iraq I, war. And my mum signed it. I've got this to this day. It's so funny. And she's like, she's like oh, you're all stupid for signing this. I bet you would have signed a petition against World War Two. Like, oh. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I was like twelve, thirteen at this time. I yeah. mean, I would look. All I'll say is, I've always been switched on politically, but it was you have, you have. Really did it for me. But I just, yeah, I just remember just being. It was such a blatant scared. lie, and it, it's it's similar to to like likening it to things that have happened more recently. Um, the way they portray um, North Korea. Mm. Tell me if I'm wrong, but a while, a few, I think it was a while ago. I can't remember what the reason was, but they were like, the threat from North Korea. Oh, that was it, because they were testing nuclear weapons, you remember? Mm. And everyone was yeah. like, the threat from North Korea is terrible. And it's like, they probably couldn't even make a bomb to reach California. Like, well, that's the thing. They always, but you know... In the media, they're like, oh my God, the threat. So... Yeah, well, it's also the kind of same thing as, like, as like when they say... Um, Oh, uh, it's the Russians that are undermining uh, democracy and the Russians put Donald Trump in place. It's like, we need to take a step back from this because is there really enough evidence there? No. There's not. I was going to say, on the a, on a subject of 9-11, do you remember mm. Dr. David Kelly? No. Don't remember him? No. Didn't it, so basically, I haven't prepared anything for this. I just got like totally off, off um, topic on the tangent thing. Yeah. But didn't he? I from what I can remember of him, he basically said that that it was ba- like he was basically speaking out about right. um, the weapons of mass destruction line, right? And like what was being said in the media. Okay. And then he then he killed himself. Oh, and it's become, but it, it became like a really big conspiracy that was like a really big thing. Oh, really? Maybe I'll look into it. and Maybe I'll do a podcast episode on it because I don't, I can't. Yeah, there was ba- there was a big inquiry okay. into. They did an inquiry into his death. Oh, what? Because he determine. spoke out against the weapons of mass destruction. It was called the Hutton Inquiry, right? And they basically um, were trying to figure out, you know, whether he did actually kill himself. Okay. See, that's what and it was. Saying. I think. I think that was also a part. I don't know if the Hutton inquiry was just about. No, it was. It was just about Dr. David Kelly. Right. He was a biological warfare expert and former UN weapons inspector in Iraq. Okay. Very interesting. I'll look into mm-hmm. it. and I'll do it for another podcast. Yeah. Um. Because I don't. I. I don't know enough off the top of my head to speak on it. Okay. Maybe I a Patreon exclusive. Maybe. We're just going to veer off into policy. We are. It's going to be called like Dial Femme for Politics. I think it's really, but I think it's interesting, especially like from like having the perspective of somebody that doesn't follow politics to somebody that does. Yeah, I don't follow politics as much. Yeah. All I know is that the government are bad. Don't trust government. Um, <laughs> Um, so don't trust the government, Han. Don't trust the government, Zalin. Um Bojo ain't nothing, Han. Bojo ain't stopping me on? from going to my Ollie Bobs. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> carry on. So, um, I've forgotten where I was. Okay, oh, right. So we're in Pakistan. Bin Laden, Bin Laden has, has escaped. 
Bin Laden's escaped into Pakistan. Yeah. Um, and George Bush has said, of course, we're after Saddam Hussein. I mean, Bin Laden. Yeah. So um, in 2005, the CIA field commander in Tora Bora, who was a guy called Larry Burnson, alleged that Bin Laden could have been captured at Tora Bora mm-hmm. and that the US didn't not, didn't do what was necessary to get him, essentially letting him go. But did they know he was there? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they knew he was there. Right. Um, so towards the tail end of 2001, Al-Qaeda operatives in, uh, I think it's called Kunduz, right. Kunduz, Afghanistan. So if you look on a map, hang on, I'm just going to get a map up. I'm not going to lie. So I do. Some of these place names are absolutely gorgeous. They are. Tora Bora, I want to go there. Yeah, yeah. They are nice names. Mm. So when you look on a map of Afghanistan, um, you'll see like Tora Bora is um, close to the uh, Pakistan border. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Kunduz, Kunduz is like really close to the border of um, Ch- Tajikistan. Tajikistan, yeah. Tajikistan and, and kind of close to Uzbekistan mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So um, in the, it was a end of 2001. Al-Qaeda operatives were essentially airlifted out of Kunduz into Pakistan. Right. When you look on a map, we're gonna get into that. Right, okay. That. Okay. When you look in when you look into when you look at a map, right. you see that like they had to fly over a quite a lot, a substantial um section right. of Afghanistan to get into Pakistan airspace. Afghanistan which is currently I guess is basically crawling with the US Army. Exactly. And the UK UK army as well. Exactly. There's also allegations that members of Bin Laden's family were on these flights. And these flights happened at night, predominantly. But they were basic. They weren't like, oh, like little sneaky, like little sneaky airplanes, like tiny little like... Like twin twin propeller. No. No. These were big, big ass planes. And all of these operatives got flown out and there was basically, they basically said that these flights would have had to have had the blessing from the president of Pakistan, right. who at the time was a guy called Pervez Musharraf, right, and the US. So what was now? This Pakistan- this isn't this isn't. This is, I just want to reiterate, this isn't conspiracy theory. This was reported in the New Yorker, right? right? Okay, it was on national news. The okay. fact that the US would have known that these airlifts were taking place. Like, they were reporting on it. They were saying, like, the US knew that these airlifts were happening. And they were essentially allowing all of these people, the supposed enemy, right. to escape into a bordering country, just okay. Pakistan. Which they, um, I guess, have no um, military authority over it, in a way. Yeah? What do you mean? So the US Army don't have any military presence in Pakistan, right? Well, no, but they would. The US would have had to have known that they were taking place. Like the US could have stopped these flights. No, no, totally. But what I'm saying is they're al- they're allowing people to go into place Pakistan, Pakistan which is yeah. where they don't currently hold any military power. I guess. No, there's no there's no like military occupation. But we are going to talk about the Pakistan um, links to 9/11. Okay, that's what we're going to go on to talk about. Okay, there's a lot of links that I, yeah. I told you. Like this shit runs deep. It does. Um. So. Um, basically all of these people being airlifted out, all of these flights into Pakistan. Right. Um, now, Bin Laden 
had a history with Pakistan. He was there on the eve of 9-11 mm-hmm. where he was allegedly at a hospital receiving kidney dialysis treatment. Oh, yes, I remember all this. There was so much speculation yeah. about he died before no, he was on kidney dialysis and he died. Yeah. I don't think that he died. I don't really know I mean, I'm, I, what I've, to believe. I've always kind of felt, found the circumstances around Bin Laden's death to be sus. Yeah. In terms of the fact that, you know, there's, you know, I don't know, it just seems a bit, the way way it was reported by the American media, Mm. I've always found it a little, hmm... Yeah, for, yeah. For example, yeah, the it, fact that there was no body, they they well they found the body and then they burnt it. And they, they dumped his body, didn't they? They dumped his body in the ocean. I thought they burnt it and like a part, thing in the ocean. I thought they burnt it, so there would be no. Um, let's find out. Let's find out. So we're doing live research. We're doing live research, guys. We're very on the on the note on the thumb on the into oh. the thick of it. Um, but yeah, and the fact buried that, at sea, buried at sea, yeah. And it's like, why, why? Like, I know they say oh, it's because they didn't want there to be any, you know, memorial or a grave site for him. Yeah. And I just don't know. I don't know. I find it... Placed and, into a weighted bag and was yeah. then positioned on a flatboard, tipped up and eased into the Arabian Sea. That's... It. I don't know. Yeah, it's... It, uh... And the fact that the fact that the, the way the news broke was like, hey, guys, we've killed Bin Laden and we've now... And we've buried him at sea. Yeah. It was very um, packaged with a rip with a bow, you know, like yeah. finished, stamped, done, you know. It, yeah. It, it, yeah, no body. But again, you know, I'm. This is just speculation. And it's questions. It's yeah, asking it's questions, questions, which is really important. It's that's the thing that people it's like seem to forget now. Just because you're asking questions doesn't mean that you don't, you know. I think when there's so many questions that do pop up around this stuff, I think mm. you know you should ask them anyway. Yeah. So I, I do personally think that. Um, I don't think that he died when he was in hospital having kidney dialysis treatment. Oh, what, the, the day before was, 9-11? Yeah, I think right. that he, there was definite evidence that he was in Afghanistan and then and then was at Tora Bora and yeah. then got into Pakistan. Yeah. Yes, there is evidence for that. Yeah. Um, so there are strong links between um, Pakistan and the Mujahideen who were fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan in the 80s. Yes. Obviously, Bin Laden was part of the Mujahideen. They mm-hmm. were backed by the CIA. Um, basically, the CIA and the Saudis were essentially funding, funneling money yeah. through ISI, who are the Pakistani intelligence agency. Right. And they were funneling money through um, the ISI, which would then go on to support the Mujahideen, which was... If we want to take a really simplistic view, yeah, they were essentially funding what would later become known as Al Qaeda, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, from what I watched of that documentary, that nine eleven turning point one, mm. the U.S. government basically armed uh, the Afghan military yeah. Yeah. that then broke off into the Mujahideen, and then yeah. you know it, it, it basically they armed them. Yeah. Totally. That's so it's kind of like how they, how the US military's um, and, hold on. Of when Iraq I s- basically founded ISIS. Yeah. When I say armed them, I don't mean gave them guns. I mean yeah. gave them guns, gave them fucking yeah. rockets that would yeah. like. It wasn't just oh here here everyone have a gun here here are weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. From the American government to the American military to Afghan. 
military. Yeah. Um, Just so the saying. Tal- I know. The Taliban also have um, strong connections to ISI and Pakistan. Pakistan. Mm-hmm. However, um, Pakistan is classed as an ally, much like Saudi Arabia is. Um, one of the hijackers and alleged ringleader of 9-11 was a guy called Mohammed Atta. Right. And Mohammed Atta received $100,000 from a man called Omar Sheikh. Now, Omar Sheikh is a British-born terrorist. He is um, accused of murdering the journalist Daniel Pearl. Right. Um, but there's a lot of evidence that suggests that he didn't murder him. And I think even Daniel Pearl's wife came forward and said that he doesn't. she doesn't think that he did it. Anyway, that's, again, is that thing. Is that the journalist that was beheaded? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, so um, Omar Sheikh um, said that he was instructed to send Mohammed Atta $100,000 by General Mahmoud Ahmed, who was the then head of Pakistan's Inter-Services Intelligence, ISI. Right. And there was um, a lot of misinformation. Once that name was published in the press, and this was all, again, this is all published in the press. Yeah. This is mainstream. But mm. there was, again, a lot of informa- misinformation that was put out about the name of the paymaster. First, they said it was General Mahmoud Ahmed. Then there was a lot of backtracking that happened. And the 9-11 Commission report essentially ended up saying that the question of who financed the attacks was of little practical significance. That's written in the 9-11 Commission report. Why? Why is that of little? Why? Because they don't. Well, because they, they they don't have the answer for it. Because the answer requires far too much digging, yeah. and you know you're literally digging through all of these um, intelligence agency. It, 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 the answer to that question, who was financing them, raises even larger questions yeah. about how politics and intelligence and all that kind of stuff operates mm-hmm. opening up a massive can of worms basically. we've also got to remember the oil well that yeah again that was more kind of iraq that was oil. okay i'm really getting um, all confused no it's no it's like, no but i mean like saudi, saudi arabia so isn't saudi arabia yeah well yeah oil? exactly and the relationship and we're also selling arms to saudi arabia is yeah, a whole yeah. fucking thing it's a whole fucking thing i need to watch um, jarhead again because that's about the iraq war <laughs> good lord and it's got jake jenner in it so interestingly enough yeah. um general mahmoud ahmed was in the u.s of the week of the 9-11 attacks. Right. And on the evening of 9-11, the US State Department began negotiating the terms of the US-Pakistani partnership with him before he ended up returning to Pakistan on September 14th. Now, here is a really, really underreported part of 9-11. So there was a guy called Randy Glass who was an undercover operative. He was basically like a con artist, con man. Right. And then like he got recruited to become like this undercover agent. Do you not think and that being like a double agent would be like so cool, but also really fucking terrifying? Be terrifying. He was basically kind of... he was basically infiltrating terrorist arms network. Okay, yeah, that would be really fucking terrifying. But <laughs> also you could be like, I'm a fucking double agent, man. I'm terrible That's at keeping true. secrets though, so I would be like, oh my god, guys, guess what? These military weapons. From the U.S. military. Correct. From the U.S. military. The investigation, which ran from 1998 to June 2001, was orchestrated by agents from the Florida offices of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and the FBI. Randy Glass's undercover work eventually led to a dinner meeting in New York with a mysterious man from Pakistan named R.G. Abbas. 
So he was part of a 1999 sting operation called Operation Diamondback, which was a two and a half year investigation by the FBI and the ATF to basically capture terrorist arms buyers. He has got Howard in Uncut Gems energy. Okay, okay. Like, that's the energy. And this whole part of 9-11 has been like totally written out of the history books. Like, right. And the only documentary I've ever seen it in is 9-11 Presbytery. Right, okay. So... Basically, Randy Glass went to dinner in New York um, in July 1999, and he met a man there by the name who went by the name Abbas. And um, this guy basically said they were interested in buying a large amount of sophisticated weapons. He told me that Americans were the enemy, and he looked around the restaurant. And he said, we would have no problem with blowing up this entire restaurant. We would have no problem blowing up this entire restaurant. Because it's full of Americans. Right. And um, the man named Abbas, um, Randy said that he would basically present it to him as being an ISI agent. So basically, Randy Glass and the FBI were going to sell illegal weapons to an ISI operative. Illegal. So the ISI operative is the Pakistani intelligence. Intelligence, yeah. Right. But it goes further than that because Randy said that after the dinner, they were outside and Abbas pointed to the Twin Towers and said, those towers are coming down. During the course of the conversation, I asked him exactly what his intentions were. After dinner, as we walked outside, he pointed in the direction of the World Trade Center and said, those towers are coming down. Randy's been on record with this, he's been interviewed. He would this again, this has been reported in mainstream news. Right. This isn't conspiracy theory. Okay. This was a guy who was like an undercover operative. He then went on to say that he'd been threatened by an FBI agent that if he went public with his story, he would be charged with obstruction of justice. I had been threatened by FBI agent Steve Berdowski that if I mentioned any of that, I would be charged with obstruction of justice. There are so many other... But, like, again, I'm going to, like, kind of end the different like alternate not alternate but like some of the question stuff yeah. um here but there are so many yeah. more questions like i, this, I, this I is, have more myself now honestly right so like i think just like 9-11 was used as a pretext to endless war right yeah. it was used to strip away privacy with the patriot act and other legislation that goes against civil liberties right. and i do think it's important that people realize that it's okay to ask questions like there's this climate of nobody wanting to talk about something like 9-11 for fear of being labelled a conspiracy theorist. Like, I made a video talking about the 9-11 documentary that I was on, being like, this is a ridiculous documentary. It was 10 years ago. Mm. Um, I really just dislike it because it just, it was propagating a lot of these, re what I yeah, deemed to was. be harmful conspiracy theories. Yeah. And somebody commented on that video saying, associating with 9-11 truthers isn't a good look. And I would make the argument that believing the Bush administration's story is not a good look, especially when so many victims' families still don't have the answers that they wanted, not just for closure, but for the safety of others. like Yeah, I think a lot of people associate 9-11 truthers with being disrespectful to the victims exactly. and the victims' families, when not all of them are. A lot of people exactly. are just like, the actually, the, op aren't. the opposite of being like, I'm not being disrespectful. I want, you know, 
I guess justice and I also exactly. want to know what happened for those families exactly but then, like there was this like you said oh. when when you were on the documentary I, I don't know who, which one who it was but there was you went to visit the mother of one of the people that died Mark Bingham's mum Mark Bingham's mum oh harrowing and there was a, harrowing. one so of emotional. the people there literally saying to Mark Bingham's mother's face you're a liar there was no plane there was no that you know he didn't say it to her face. Oh, we thought he said it to her face. No, he was. Um, it was like afterwards, but oh. but there was an element of like of, of we distrust her, and that's when I, I think it was at that point where I kind of thought like I don't really want to be involved in this anymore because I don't understand how somebody can stand across from a grieving mother yeah. and say that their pain isn't real. Or, that was it. You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what really angers me, and I ended up falling out with a lot of people in that documentary because of that. Because I think that that is like, you know, it, 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 when you start going down that road and you start, you know, I think when I say question everything, I mean like ask questions, but not every. Also realize that not everything is a conspiracy. Like if no. you go down the road of like we must question everything, then you end up like fucking Alex Jones saying that Sandy Hook was full of crisis actors. You know, like, yeah you end up in a really dark place. Yeah. But when you start looking into it and you go, that's weird, why did that happen? Yeah. Why did Osama, why was Osama bin Laden basically let go from Afghanistan? Yeah. Why did the Bush administration ignore so many warnings? Why were the connections between Saudi Arabia and the um, 9-11 attacks never properly investigated? There, there are so many serious questions. And like... There is that narrative that took hold that it was somehow disrespectful to ask those questions. And I put a large part of the blame to people that propagate bullshit conspiracy theories. Like yeah. there were no planes and all that kind of stuff. Like, but at the same point, there has been a concerted effort to shun and dismiss anybody that questions the official narrative. Mm. And I think, like, I hope that I have laid out at least a few reasons why questioning... You know, asking questions about nine eleven is necessary. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with you. And like we say, it's it's not everything is harmful. I mean, I think one of the most important things is just how fucking much of an awful tragedy this was. Like that, absolutely. Maybe could have been prevented. I don't even think there's a maybe. No, like, yeah, that could have been prevented. Yeah. It's the, the thing that gets me is like Americans questioned Nixon's involvement in Watergate, right? Yeah. They questioned um, Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky. Mm. So why not question George Bush's foreknowledge of 9-11, ties between Saudi Arabia, Pakistan and 9-11 hijackers? Like, I, it just baffles me. Like, why Why is that suddenly a thing that can't it be is, questioned? It is, it is baffling. But you, you have the... The, the the whole like I said him being painted as a hero like saving mm. America and going in mm. and killing Bin Laden do you know what I mean so he didn't do anything no but he didn't do that he, no, he didn't no, I know he didn't I'm just fucking him running through the thicket no but like he was the president he was in charge like, no not when not, not Osama Bin Laden that was Obama was it yeah oh okay wow <laughs> like come on dude like how long was that after long time after because they didn't care about getting Bin Laden Ugh. it was never about Bin Laden true um, I mean I've been to I've been to um, I, I don't know whether I, I wouldn't call it Ground Zero anymore but mm. I've been to the area um, mm. a couple of times and mm-hmm. I've been to it when it was still like the 
it wasn't I think I first went to New York in I think it was 2009 mm. so it was still when I first went all around there was still like um like hoard is it hoarding when i was when i was in new york yeah. in 2011 we went into the offices of the architects that built the world trade center mm. and met some of the architects yeah. we saw the original blueprints of the world trade center yeah. and from the window you could see like just where it what, what like where it where it had been yeah like, yeah and it was all surrounded by yeah. um you know, like hoarding, I think it's yeah. called like fence, yeah. but really like blocked out fences. Yeah, yeah, but you could see like right down. Into yeah, it. see, I never saw that, but I and then I went. I've been to back to New York a couple more times, so I've been there since the um, Freedom Tower, One World Trade Center, is up, and the fountains are now there, mm. and it has the same feeling in the area for me from when I went. When it was, I guess you could describe it as looking like. Um, a building site right because they were starting to build mm. the buildings and stuff mm-hmm. and now it's this shiny you know tall amazing building and these you know, these memorial fountains and stuff it's a very different vibe yeah. but I still felt the same every time I go back down to that area yeah it's grim it's, it's horrible it has, it's a horrible thing and I um, one time I went to New York I me and my friend went to the um, 9-11 museum mm-hmm. and it was harrowing, truly harrowing. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I, I hated it because it, I felt so emotional about it and mm-hmm. it, it made me feel horrible. And my friend was saying, you know, isn't it strange how you feel this way about 9-11, but then you can go to another museum and not feel the same way about you know horrible events that have happened in history and things like that and i said to said to him i think it's different because we experience this right mm. so we have a connection to it and also the fact that we were at the location where all the where it where it happened yeah i mean i've got goosebumps now talking about it, it li- I, well, it's, I think uh, it's because we saw it on live tv we li- we saw thousands of people die on live yeah. television it's it, everyone did yeah. and the way it was just i i distinctively remember watching it and seeing people just falling yeah from the building like and not yeah. and, and that was just broadcast why mm-hmm. i mean it was it was really at the kind of i guess on the cusp or just at the start of the 24-hour news thing wasn't mm-hmm. it like yeah the 24-hour news channels had literally just... So it was on all the time, like... Yeah. So I think that's why I had such a... I guess it's the word visceral reaction to to being there. And I always do every... I've been I've been there, like, I think back, back to the area about four times. And every time I just have that same feeling. It, it feels... I, I can't describe what the, what, the, what the... Sorry if I'm rambling, but... I can't describe what the feeling is. It's just no. I understand. What, I understand the feeling. I've been there twice. I, yeah, I get the same it's... feeling, but I also get overwhelming anger. Oh yeah, um, definitely, hundred percent. I get angry, especially, you know, just read it as reading the names as well on the on the fountains. It just it it does make me angry, and I think it's yeah. I just get that feeling in the pit of my stomach. I'm getting it now. It's just not a nice feeling. I think the thing the, the thing that makes me the most angry is especially from like 
especially from like a 911 like a somebody that's interested in 911 right you want to call them like a 911 truther or you know anything like that mm. like, they should I call wouldn't... it a 911 questioner well i wouldn't oh, class no. myself as a 911 truther i would just no. class myself as somebody that that cares about it and the yeah. thing that that got me to care about it especially from like you know some of the the experiences that i have had are like you know obviously i was on that documentary and i don't regret going on that documentary even though it propagated a lot of crap that i don't agree with and i'm very glad that my contribution to it is incredibly minimal like the only real time that i'm on that documentary is when i'm talking about pre-warnings and security like before 9 yeah. 11 yeah. right that's the only real time that i'm featured on it and like i got to meet so many different people mm. And like people that you would do, like, like you know, meeting people that have been directly impacted yeah. by nine eleven, yeah, is like, uh, how do I, how do I say it? I feel like people that propagate these really shitty conspiracy theories, like there's a woman out there called she calls herself a doctor. I don't think that she's a doctor, but her main theory is that it was laser beams that hit the World Trade Center. It wasn't planes. And I just think to myself, like. What the fuck is wrong with you? Laser beams like, from where? Please, we're not going into it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just like, <laughs> like oh, what's the I logistics? I can't because it makes me so angry. Yeah. But it's also like, it's people like that that take away from the very real questions, right? Yeah. So like, just, I guess just to wrap everything up, like mm. if it wasn't for the 9-11 families, the Jersey girls, the other people mm. that lost people on 9-11, yeah. the commission report would have never happened. No. Like if it wasn't for the 9-11 families questioning, questioning their government, yeah. the commission would have never have happened, even though that commission was failed. And I really, I like... I do think that there needs to be an independent investigation that covers the questions that the family members have. There's a lawsuit going on at the moment mm. that is very under-publicised in the media. Yeah. And it's the 9-11 families who are suing Saudi Arabia for compensation. Right. And it's like, you know, all of this stuff is still ongoing and it's really made the news recently because of the 20th anniversary of, like, Biden's going to declassify stuff around Saudi Arabia. And this podcast, honestly, just scratching the surface of everything yeah. and this is probably going to be like one of our longest podcasts it, today it truly right? it truly is right and this is just like this is this is a drop in the ocean yeah of everything but like um, you say there are so many questions so yeah like, it's not surprising that this is a long podcast so i would just I, say, i've definitely learned a lot from yeah. things you know i I, I didn't know I would just suggest if you are interested to continue your own research, put things together, talk to people that you know, because unfortunately this narrative has been hijacked by people that talk absolute fucking nonsense mm -hmm. and it obscures the very real questions about 9-11 and it also obscures the family's um, chances of getting answers to that question. Mm -hmm. And to close the podcast... I'm going to play a quote from um, Bob McIlvain, who lost his son Bobby on 9-11 um, 20 years ago. And I just think it's um, a good clip to play us out. Uh, my name's Bob McIlvain. I'm from uh, Orland, Pennsylvania. Uh, I lost my son. I'm trying... <laughs> when I did this to the press, I wasn't able to get through it, but maybe the second time around. I lost my son at Merrill Lynch. Can't do it. Mm. 
And it's not just because it's 9-11 now, it's just, remember when I speak, it happens. But it brings the cold reality to the whole thing. There's a lot of people dying in the world. And we're talking horrible deaths. The deaths of those people down there were horrible. To this day, I just had a discussion with, uh, I'm sorry, I forget your name, but I'm still trying to find out what happened to him. I want to know to that last second what happened to him. Every parent wants to know that. I've run into a lot of parents in you know, my neighborhood of lost children. And you just want to know that last second what horror that your child was going through. And I think about it every day. And it rips me apart. And to do this, it truly is a double-edged sword because I really would, many days, I want to go to an island and just sit there the rest of my life, ignore the rest of the world. And as my son said yesterday, he said, why don't you be happy? Try to be happy. Well, it's impossible to be happy. I have happy moments. The suffering isn't as bad, but the t pain is still very immense. It's always there. And when you do something like that, it brings you right back to day one. Day one I have every day of my life. I've made that choice. It's been a wonderful journey. And I do it for my son because he really believed that knowledge is power. And if anything you get out of this, it's knowledge. And you have to take it out to the people, out to the American public. That's the only way we can do this. The people of this country must realize what the truth is. And history is replete with so many lies. And they continue day in, day out. And it's just not this Bush administration, it's every administration. And trust me, I'm not, a, I'm not an authority up here. All these other people are great authorities. I'm, this is a learning process for me. I've made every commission meeting. I've been involved with the widows. I mean, they've done tremendous work. What they've done, the fact that this is out in the public, it would have been an impossibility. Just don't forget, George Bush never wanted this commission. We would have had Kissinger as the head of the commission if it wasn't for the widows. They went to him and said to him, didn't you have some dealings with the Bin Ladens in your past? And with that, he quit the commission. Yet we would have had him. So it's, it's just so important that you take a lot out of this and take it out there onto the streets. Because I just deal with the people, deal with my relatives, deal with my people in my neighborhood, they still look at it and say, well, I still want to be safe. No one wants to lose their life. And they look at the president and say, well, he's our protector. Our military is our protector. Well, but the thing is, this is the way it is. If you're raising a family and you have three kids, all you want to know is you're protected. And I'm not saying that this is right. I'm just saying is it's so difficult to get to people to explain to them, where do I start? Do I start in Iran in 53 or do I go into the Congo in 60? Right, exactly. It's a constant thing, but it's an education. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I think there's a lot of people, it's a lost cause in this country. That's why we have to get out to the students of the world. And they have to understand where this all comes from. It's connecting the dots. My son didn't die just because George Bush wasn't inattentive. It has a lot to do with Clinton. It has a lot to do with Bush. It goes all the way back to Eisenhower. Yes. Okay, so That's I just... Right. And this is the legacy of my son. If I would have died in those towers, he'd be doing the same thing. He wants to know the truth. I want to know the truth. 
And I have found myself in a position, I get invited to this just because I'm a parent. It brings a lot of power to it. And I've had the opportunity to speak around the world, although I won't fly, I do a lot of TV and, and radio, but I haven't flown yet. Uh, but it, it, it's been a, a great experience for me because I have, I'm an educator. I was a teacher most of my life. And to me, it's all education. And that's what it has to be. We just constantly have to educate, educate, educate. And then maybe people will start participating. And that, to me, is the solution. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you.